Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. My name is Javier Melendez. I'm a account executive with All Star Center Marketing, and today I'm very happy that we get to speak with Shamini Peter from Axis and Mark Graham from Carmen Skew. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hey, Javier. Today's podcast is going to be coming from a little bit of a different spot based on some conversations that we had had with Joanna about PPE. And in the industry right now, there's so much requests and conversation about PPE, specifically in response to the COVID situation. And the big thing we're hearing about is people searching for, looking for, sourcing PPE. And we said, who do we know that we could talk to about PPE? And Shamini's name came up. Shamini, can you give us a little background about some of your sourcing background there with Access? Yeah, certainly. So I have been with Access for now 13 years. And essentially, I came on board with Access when they wanted to start their importing and compliance division. I have a background in supply chain management. So I've always been either at a factory level or at a manufacturer level retail facing. And then when I came to Access, I didn't realize this whole promotional sector. So I put in place basically processes for access in terms of sourcing, just understanding supply chain and the different pillars of supply chain. So I've been doing it now for 13 years, and I think we've done a pretty good job. Oh, wow. So that's sweet. And Mark, from your side with CommonSkew, I'm assuming with everything going on with COVID, you all have seen huge amounts of requests for PPE on your platform. What have you seen? It's been really quite amazing being able to just see the types of searches and the types of queries that have come up over the last, just I would say even three weeks. In the past, you have this quite a varied query structure in terms of what people are looking for in terms of different types of projects. But I would say it's been dominated by about 75% is hand sanitizers, gloves, face shields. Who has inventory of this that you can ship to us within a week? It's really quite amazing to see the opportunities. But I also think that it comes with some risk. And I think we're going to talk about that here today. Yeah. I mean, 75%. Wow. That is a large number. I mean, two months ago, even two and a half months ago, most people in the industry probably weren't even aware truly of what PPE was like. And Chamini, maybe you can speak a little bit to this from a sourcing perspective. How was the transition going from everyday sourcing of different items to all of a sudden being inundated for PPE? Yeah, certainly. I think for us at Access, it really was an organic transition. You know, a couple of months ago, when China was going through the whole COVID-19 and was in the crux of it, you know, we were still communicating with our factories, you know, because we have a lot of production going on in China at that time. And we started realizing that as Chinese New Year came about and the fact that they were not opening up on time and then slowly realizing what was really taking place. I had said to Larry then that I would be surprised if we're not in the same situation. And again, we didn't talk about PPE, nothing about masks or nothing about facials, nothing about booties, surgical gloves, none of it. And then I guess when it kind of started to trickle into the United States. Our factories had already come out of it slightly and were at maybe like 50% production capacity or 50% workforce because 
One of the things that we do is we do inspections, especially our custom overseas business. So our inspectors were giving us a little notation on the inspection summary saying that factories at 25% workforce, factories at 50% workforce, factories at 75% workforce. So I was like, oh, you know, that, that's really interesting how they're slowly coming back into workforce, but not 100%. So then I guess when the West Coast situation came about, one of our factories actually said to us, hey, do you have masks for your family? Do you have masks and gloves for your family? And that's all the conversation was. And I said, no, I don't have any masks for my family, neither do I have any gloves. And then it, it kind of like exponentially, like the alert went up really, really fast, right? Like if you see from the time that COVID-19 announcement came about here in the United States to how fast it just kind of quadrupled and tripled, I had said to the factory, hey, can you just give me a quote? on the masks that you're referring to and just give me some information so I can do some research. Now, again, having not sold any mask, I had no idea what is a NIOSH, N95, or what even N meant. So then I started looking at CDC and FDA and just learning about the different types of masks. And this was probably a month ago, right? Like, so we're a month from a month ago. So at that point, we realized that you know, just send us a quote, send us the information, send us the FDA information so that we can just start to feel things out. Now, not having spoken to any suppliers, not understanding the implications of anything, it was purely an organic conversation. Mm -hmm. So that's how we kind of got into this whole PPE thing. And quite frankly, it allowed us to kind of have a earlier trajectory or starting point because I had had enough time to kind of learn about the product and understand the compliance part of it. So it was an organic transition, I would say. It's like trial by fire. It's quite a story. Javier, I've got a question for you. In your current role at the distributorship All-Star Incentive Marketing, you've sold PPEs extensively in the past. Can you tell us a little bit more about this category because it includes a lot more than just face masks, sanitizers, shields, and gloves. Yeah. So PPE, personal protective equipment, is kind of an encompassing acronym. So to give you some perspective, you know, All-Star, we, we do a lot of incentive and engagement programs. We do a lot of safety programs. Me specifically, I do a lot of safety programs, especially in the construction industry, truck driving industry. and so. There's things that different workforces need. In construction, each industry has its own certifications, has its own product needs, has its own requirements. So there's many different things, hard hats, safety vests, safety apparel is a whole category in its own. You have different safety equipment that might be needed. And it's important to know that PPE, it's a product that it's not like most promotional products. PPE's intended purpose is to prevent injury or death. And that's a very serious topic. So when we source, and specifically me, when we source PPE like a hard hat or something like that, we look at a lot of different things because at the end of the day, it's a very serious product, but also if I can help source something that's going to help potentially save someone from a serious injury or save their life even, it just takes another meaning 
when it comes to the sourcing world of protective equipment. So it's important to know the category has been around and it's evolved. It's really evolved over the years. Shamini, I've got a question for you about your opinion on PPEs being sold in our industry as to whether that's a good or a bad thing right now. It's neither a good thing or a bad thing. Because I think that one of the things that we have to remember in the promotional sector, or just as a business, is we are service providers. And because of our extensive supply chain, I guess, tentacles, right, into different parts of the world, I think the service that we can bring to the current situation is to be an additional resource. Now, I use the word additional resource because, you know, the standard supply chain of PPE is going to always be first and foremost. I mean, those are your vetted supply chain groups. But I think the fact that our unique situation in the promotional sector has allowed us to be able to source products gives us the usefulness or being able to provide a service in a time of need. And I think that's how I look at it. I don't look at it as a bad thing or a good thing. That's an interesting way to look at it. My question though would be, we see a lot of people buying these PPEs, like masks, gowns, and we're seeing a lot of people you know, make them as well to donate to hospitals and to donate to healthcare facilities and such. But maybe you can allude some of the people listening. What have you learned about that process? And what have you learned that the hospitals need if somebody wants to buy, say, masks and donate them to their local medical facility? What are they actually looking for? So I think it's twofold, right? Let's look at it in two categories. Let's look at it in terms of the standard promotional buying and the types of clients that come to us. And then we can look at the healthcare buying and the types of requirements that they have. The first thing is that you have to classify the device. Once you classify the device or who's your target audience, then you know what the risk category level is. So for example, if you are going to a client who is not a healthcare industry or not directly dealing with COVID-19 patients, your category of risk is different. So the types of products that you're going to source for them is going to be different. Even though it's still PPE, it's just a different usage and a different need. Now, when you look at the hospital, and I've had quite a few people, salespeople that have come to me and said, my client really wants to donate. What's the price and what's the MOQ? I have tended to take a step back with the salesperson and just said to them, I said, look, your client's act is a noble act. So that's great. But here are some of the things that you really need to understand. You know, for you to come to me and say your client wants to buy half a million units of N95 masks, I can't quote you on that because you need to look at the, the healthcare environment. Each healthcare unit has its own way of sourcing. So for example, some hospitals only want 3M brand. Some hospitals are looking for surgical respirators, which is both NIOSH certified and FDA approved. Some hospitals are okay with just NIOSH certification. So it's difficult for me as a supply chain person or just difficult as a business unit to just have one product covers everybody. So what I've been advising is that if your client is truly interested in donating a product to a hospital, the first thing they should do 
is actually go onto the hospital site because they actually do have good information for how to go about donating. And they give you the protocols as to what they would expect. So it's the same channel, whether they are purchasing the product or whether they are getting donated, the process is the same. So I've actually turned away two salespeople and just said to them, look, I'm happy to help, but you need to make sure that I'm connected directly to that hospital purchaser because I need to have that conversation with them so they understand or I understand what is allowed, what is their requirement, and whether or not we can even service that requirement. So that's how we've kind of categorized it. Wow. That's great, though, that you're having that conversation. And on my side of things, I've had to have those same conversations with people that have asked us, you know, hey, we want to get some masks to the local hospital here near us. And I'm like, things are being confiscated as they come in, because either the government wants them and such. And I just want to ask, how are you handling that part of the conversation? How does the sales rep take it when you say, I need to be in that room or on that call because of social distancing now, I need to be on that call with the purchaser to see what their specifications are? I think, look, most of them, I think my sales team, they would never say no to me being on any call with them. I just don't have the bandwidth to be on every call with them. So they're fine. I mean, they understand because it's an uncharted territory for themselves and they don't want to be liable or put a person at risk, as you mentioned before. We don't want to have producing incorrect products, sending it to the hospitals for healthcare workers to be compromised. That's not the intention here. So the one thing I will tell you is that the advice that I've been giving the sales team is, I know you're frustrated that I'm not responding quick enough. I'm not giving you the pricing fast enough. I'm not giving you all the answers that you're looking for in one cohesive manner, but I'm not going to compromise on the processes that I've put into place to ensure the safety of you, your client, and the end user. So that's really important. I think what's happened here is that while, and I might be getting a little bit ahead with the questions, but while we're trying to get on the front end of trying to service the healthcare industry or you know other industries, we cannot compromise on the supply chain aspect of it. So I'll give you an example. We recently had a particular agency come to us and ask us to quote a specific N95 NIOSH approved mask. So we had done the due diligence and we wanted the samples to be sent over. So And in the meantime, I had also had a connection with CDC uh, personnel at CDC directly where I was going back and forth trying to understand because really all this learning has kind of like crashed into a three-week period. So my learning curve has had to accelerate a lot quicker. So when I got the samples, I noticed that it didn't look exactly as the packaging showed. The product was very different from the packaging itself. But the markings were all correct. So it met the NIOSH specification markings and all that stuff. And then I realized that the product that I had in my hand was a counterfeit product. Mm. So at that point, I kind of like stopped and said like, okay, this is not the right way to do it. I want to audit the factory. I want to know where this is being produced. And I want to audit the factory because I know this is not produced at the factory that you are presenting to me. So that's the other aspect of it. You have 
a whole slew of suppliers and just, you know, people that I've never heard from that are just sending me FDA certificates left, right, and center. Like every day I get like a whole bunch of it. My question to them is that, who is your source? I mean, it's good that you're giving me this documentation, but have you actually had eyes on the factory? Physically, who's helping you on the ground? Because just because you have an FDA certificate doesn't mean you're producing it at that particular location. And if you're not inspecting the products, how can you guarantee that it's coming out from that factory? You can't. So these are some of the things that I think, you know, going back to your regular process, importing and sourcing, whether you're importing a tote bag or whether you're importing a N95 mask, the process or the due diligence that you would go through cannot be compromised because the sheer need of the rush that everybody is trying to get on. Shamini, what percent of Axis's sales in the last 30 days have been made up of PPE products compared to your regular business that you do? I would say probably 80%. Wow. Are you able to comment in any general way or specific way as to whether PPE sales have made up for the shortfalls and other spending in terms of keeping your sales relatively even? Or despite the PPE sales, have sales been a real struggle this last 30 days? I think the fact that the PPE sales, and especially because we've really kind of ensured the compliance and the supply chain aspect of it, I think that's given us the ability to speak to clients and they feel confident that we know what we're doing in terms of the inspections and the auditing. So it has definitely shifted, but it doesn't mean that the other aspect of it, when I first said, you know, two categories, right? You have your clients that you're selling your regular promotional items. And now you have a second category of, I would say, clients that are looking for PPE products. So what we've done is that we know that the first category of clients, they're continuing to work through quarter three, quarter four. So we know quarter two is already gone. That's nothing you can do. So potentially quarter three, quarter four. So there is still a lot of development work of non-PPE products that are going on. It's just that we haven't come to realize it just yet. Right. But I think it will happen. Yeah. I think it's so interesting. And given that you really are in the thick of the storm in the United States in that you're right in midtown Manhattan. You've got a lot of clients that have been massively affected by these uh, shutdowns, including the whole city. And I can imagine on one hand, it's been devastating for that events business and the traditional program business that you're such a leader in. But yet it's nice to see that you're able to make it up with PPE sales. But I think here's the real key that you're making it up with responsible PPE sales which I think we'll get to later on in the podcast, is that I think that in some cases, there's a little bit of a gray area between being opportunistic in PPE and not necessarily sourcing from reputable sources or not being well-educated around it versus the approach that you're really talking about, which is this stringent approach to sourcing product that you know meets those standards. And as a result, you're selling it in a responsible fashion and making money, which I think is important at this time because the industry is suffering. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the one thing I'll tell you that, you know, our leadership has multiple times said to us is that we cannot be seen as price gouging. So even if a salesperson is given a cost at access, especially we're setting 
what they are allowed to sell. Hmm. We're not just letting them just do whatever they want. We're looking at it and saying like, no, that's expensive. That shouldn't be the case, right? Yeah. So, you know, I don't know whether other businesses are doing, but I know that our leadership, and now that we're part of the bigger unit at Halo, our CEO has been very, very direct in terms of us ensuring that we're delivering the product as a necessity for the people that need it and ensuring that we are not doing any kind of price gouging. That has been very loud and clearly received by everybody working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about at your distributorship, Javier, in terms of the percentage of PPE sales over the last 30 days? We actually haven't increased in strictly PPE. We're consistent with some of our clients. We've actually focused a lot on employee engagement, work from home, and things like that. And we've been doing pretty well in that space. So from a PPE perspective, we've gotten certainly a lot of inquiries, especially when this first broke. We had clients calling up for sanitizer left, right, and center. And I reached out to some of my trusted vendors because like you, Shamini, I don't want to source from just anybody. I want to source from people that are trusted, people that have the certifications, the knowledge, and are responsible with their sourcing. I reached out to my trusted contacts. I said, okay, what can we do? They said, your week's out right now because everybody rushed their orders in. We have people working literally 16-hour days, people taking work home with them. And my heart went out to them and, and I made that very vocal, you know, these people are working very hard. And there's a lot of people working hard right now. When you look at things like face coverings and such that I don't entertain a lot of the requests. And I say, look, it's just not happening right now. There's too much going on. And I try to educate when I tell them that. Look at what's going on here and there and educate some of my fellow coworkers on the situation and certifications and things and say, we're just not going to be the source for that right now. We can get it. It's going to take a while. But if they want it in this time frame now, it's just not going to happen. So let me kind of pivot here for a second. I think we asked you know, a little bit on the scale of things. Is it opportunism? Is it ambulance chasing? Is it a factor of you know, people are pros and they can sell anything? What do you think, Mark, on that one? I kind of want to ask you this one. Where do you think, as promotional professionals, because you see and talk to a lot of them, where do we kind of rate where we should be here? Are we opportunistic in saying, yep, we can source anything, we can source these masks, we can source these gowns, or should we kind of be laying back and kind of saying, let people that do this day in and day out do the sourcing? Such a tricky question. I tend to think that this is more a good opportunity for the industry than ambulance chasing. Now, the reason I say that is because when you speak to professionals like Chamonix, as an example, a company like Axis, and there's many others like Axis that are taking this approach that is very expectation setting forward, is an educated sourcing and is done in a way where there's very strict guidelines around how they're going to sell in terms of margins. So there's no accusations of price gouging. I think in those circumstances, it makes sense all day long for our industry to be resourceful when it comes to providing 
a much needed product and a much in demand product from our customers. Like anything, like any quote unquote gold rush, you are going to have some people who are, I think, Javier, we were laughing a little earlier on when I mentioned the word hucksters or trunk slammers <laughs> that I, I think, you know, our industry, like any industry, has some people who are like that. Fortunately, I think it's the minority. And I think that's where you have to be really careful because those distributors or maybe even suppliers, I think, fall into this very desperate category where their sales in their traditional businesses evaporated overnight, but they see an opportunity over here where they're not an expert whatsoever, but they're simply a guy who can get product. I think that is a ticking time bomb and I think is unfortunate, but I think there'll be some people who will probably get into trouble with that. Mm-hmm. And I wish that you didn't have that, but that's just the way the world works or you're always going to have that when there's a lot of opportunity in a particular category. I think in conclusion, if you look at what our industry does best, our industry is incredible at coming up with tangible marketing solutions that solve really thorny business problems. And in this particular case, there's one heck of a business problem that we've got right now that we can help our clients with. And if it happens to be through PPE that's responsibly sourced, responsibly priced, then, hey, let's be a hero and be helpful to our customers in that respect. So I don't have a problem with it in that regard. Interesting. And Shamini, kind of just jumping back, I mean, you said you want to be in the room with these purchasers. I mean, when someone brings you an opportunity, you know, one of your sales reps or whoever you're speaking with, how do you intake that? Do you look at it and say, why are we chasing this? Or do you say, okay, let's buckle down, find the meat and potatoes and really dive in? Yeah, so definitely the latter. We're definitely taking each inquiry, especially the big ones. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't know when the last time a 12,000 mask was not an order, but except a 15 million mask is an order, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just the sheer quantity. Mm. And it's like, I explained this to somebody. I feel like I'm in an auction house and I am being pressured by suppliers that have these unvetted sources that are saying that I have 2 million masks sitting in the port of Hong Kong and do you want to take it? And I'm like, two million? And he goes, well, I have a, a million. Can you take a million? And, and I'm thinking, I mean, like, this is like real hustling. And my question always, and I've had a few of these present itself, even whether it's via a salesperson or people just directly contacting me, my question is, why am I so special? Why are you coming to me with that two million units? Why is that product sitting in the warehouse in New Jersey when 90% of the country needs it? So. These are some of the common sense approach and business sense approach, right? So if somebody tells me, hey, you need to send me the money now, and you're not talking about $10, $20, or $1,000, you're talking about like two, three, four million dollars in deposit payments. Okay, well, does business sense go out the window? Does common sense go out the window? And it cannot, because you can get carried away when you look at these numbers. Yeah. Larry and I have this conversation continuously. We must be the most annoying people when we say, no, you have to wait. We have to think about it. We need to look at it. Who's the source? It's frustrating. It's frustrating on the sales end. I get it. But I think that we definitely look at it in terms of whether this is a real opportunity. But more importantly, can we actually provide a service and provide it well? 
if we can't provide a service and provide quality goods, then we shouldn't even be entertaining that opportunity. Shemini, you mentioned terms. I think you were talking about deposits you've got to pay to your supply network. Talk to me about the terms that you're extending to your customers that are ordering PPEs. Is it different than the terms you would extend them for non-PPE products? So it's evolved. What we've done is basically looked at it again in terms of the business. Looked at the client, one. Looked at what they have outstanding in terms of owing to the company. And then looking at what are they wanting to buy? What product are they wanting to buy in terms of the PPE product, right? So when we look at all of those three things and then looking at their credit. So we've had to go out and run credit checks again with clients that we've done business with, not because of anything, but I think it just makes good business sense. We've said to the clients like, hey, listen, you have, for example, maybe 30 days outstanding on a non-PPE order. Can you please pay that up first? Yeah. And then place a specific percentage of deposit, depending on the overall financial risk that Axis is taking, percentage based upon that, and then payment terms on the PPE product as soon as we deliver it. So as soon as they deliver it, we give you a proof of delivery, the payment needs to take place. So what we're finding is that because of the situation that we're all in, we're finding that our clients are actually understanding why we're coming out to ensure that we are remaining liquid. That's the main thing because our suppliers, if they ask us for a hundred percent deposit and you know the client doesn't give us anything, yeah. we're holding the risk a hundred percent. So that's what I mean by business sense, right? Like while the opportunity is great, you cannot lose focus of business sense and common sense. Yeah, of course. Thanks for that answer. And I think it's a good reminder for anyone listening to this that might be extending themselves a little bit too much that I think at the end of the day, that strong business sense never goes out of fashion. Yeah. I want to switch things up a little here again. And I want to talk, and we kind of discussed this a little bit. Shamini, how are you able to source these PPEs effectively? Are you sourcing things like the hand sanitizer, masks, and gloves through verified sources? Are you looking at existing conversations you've had with people and existing relationships? How are you able to source these so effectively for access? We can talk about the hand sanitizers first. The hand sanitizer is a product that we've always offered in our industry. So the first question that you're going to ask is, what is the supplier's normal cost of business? If your normal cost of business is selling, I don't know, water bottles. I'm not picking on any supplier. I'm just saying water bottles. And then all of a sudden you're making hand sanitizer, right? Yeah. Do you have the knowledge and capability or do you know the requirements for a hand sanitizer? So I'll give you an example. I got presented with a vendor that currently produces hand sanitizer, not before. My question is very simple. Yep, you're FDA certified, no problem. But the FDA certification is for your facility, which means that your facility is allowed to produce it. Have you tested this with a third party to ensure the efficacy of the product? That means that if you're claiming 70% or 80% alcohol content, please just show me the certificate that you have verified. So at that time, you either get the certificates from those vendors or they're just going to just not bother with you. 
So in terms of even our mask, we do have a good direct factory sauce that we've been working for a while now, just simply because we want to be at the factory. We want to inspect and the factory is busy and I get it. I understand what's going on in ground China, right? Like in China, what's going on? And you, me, Mark, we're not in China. So we don't understand the true chaos that's taking place. But finally, the factories agreed that we're allowed to come in. Now, I've had the order, purchase order from the client for over two weeks, but I haven't placed the order with the factory because I want to negotiate with them, me being able to do an inspection. So I'm not compromising on it because I don't want to be liable and I don't want to put out a product that is not compliant. So it's been a mix of certain suppliers that are compliant in the way that they run their businesses or rather take compliance as part of their infrastructure. So one of the things that I like to do is find out if they have a compliance person on staff. If it's the CEO who's doing compliance, who's doing the operations, then maybe not so much. But if you are an infrastructure that actually has a specific person who is in charge of looking at the compliance, then I'm more inclined to talk to you in terms of your supply chain because you have somebody who's dedicated to it. So again, not compromising on your business sense, right? So we've done a mixture of both. We've worked with uh, suppliers here, and then we've also vetted sources outside of the United States directly. And Shamani, for people that are listening to this, I know that there is strong loyalty to folks that are within the promotional products industry. And for reasons you just articulated, there's reasons why people sometimes have to go outside of that channel. Some of those reasons are a just lack of inventory. That's been a big, big issue. And then the other is that perhaps some of these industry suppliers are now starting to get into product lines that aren't really their area of specialty, but they're getting into these product lines because it's allowing them to stay open as an essential business. It's allowing them to pay their bills and all of that is good stuff. But again, you may be a little bit hesitant to purchase hand sanitizers from say a water bottle factory, as you're saying. So for folks that want to source PPE responsibly from non-shady sources that are outside the industry, are there one or two or maybe three quick tips that you might have outside of just calling you (laughs) uh, for advice? Because the question was posed initially, Javier, of me, but all the people who are looking for PPEs these days, there's a ton of demand out there. And we would love to fill it. When I say we, I'm talking about the royal we as an industry, would love to fill it with responsible, medical grade, legitimate product so that our industry could really help our customers as opposed to potentially burning them. Yeah. I mean, of course. I mean, look, not everybody's able to send somebody, an inspector in to do a inspection or an audit. And the factories may not be open to that. But I would say this much. If you are a supplier here, or even if you're buying a product, like let's say you're a distributor like us, I would say to you, at least ask a baseline, ask them to get the FDA certification, which you can verify against the FDA website. And then also look at the CDC site for approved factories that are approved in the different categories of product. So that would be a baseline. And then 
you know, what's really interesting is sometimes you'll find the FDA certificate and then you'll put in the name and then you will notice that there's no registration number. That means that that particular factory is only now is looking into getting an approval from FDA. So your question then becomes, okay, so what is their regular business? What are they doing? What were they doing before this? So once you get that answer, then you yourself will understand whether or not that's a good source to go to. The other thing I would say to you is that if these suppliers have people on ground, some of them claim that they have people on ground, send me a picture of the factory that you are actually sourcing at because I can't come in for an audit or even authenticity documentation. For example, I know that 3M will give you an authenticity documentation and tell you the serial number and the serial code. I mean, these are all medical devices. They have usability and expiry dates on them. So ask them, what's the expiry dates on the mask? I know masks can last for two years, I believe, but ask them, what's the expiry date? When was the product produced? You know, so these kind of things kind of like start to make the person on the other side a little bit more uncomfortable when you're asking them. Because to me, if you're calling me and telling me you can produce and you can give me a product, when I ask you these questions, you need to tell me right there and then. You know, yeah. when you say to me, oh, I'll go back and check, that means that you didn't do your homework. Yeah. Yeah, that would be my advice. I got to tell you, the picture of the factory is something that I'm going to be putting in my tool belt going forward. That's a great tip. And one that, quite frankly, I wouldn't have thought of as when you're sourcing and you're looking for things and you call out for certifications. And you know, you work with suppliers who say they have uh, factory offices overseas and such. I wouldn't think to ask, hey, send me a picture of the production line. I want to see what the working conditions look like or how the employees look, you know, and are they in safe working conditions? So that right there is going to be going right in my tool belt, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mind. I want to ask something to kind of wrap up here, and it's more so future thinking and I know I might be catching you a little off guard, but with all the new knowledge and all the new contracts and conversations you've had, how are you taking this opportunity? You know, because this is an opportunity. I think it's Winston Churchill that said, don't let a crisis go to waste. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you take this and move forward with this new knowledge of a NIOSH and N95s and KN95s and all these? different medical terminologies and certifications, do you kind of use it to your advantage? Do you kind of try to say, hey, we are now experts or plant a flag in this field? Because I don't think the industry is going to go back to how it was in that way. I think a lot of people are going to say, this is now part of our product offering. But what's your thoughts, Mark and Shamani? I'd like to hear both your thoughts on that. Start with you, Shamani. Yeah, I think definitely this is going to be something that is going to open up opportunities into different industries just with the product line. Like, so for example, we're not doing the regular promotional product just through the marketing or the branding. But I think that now when we look at some of our clients who own warehouses or even, as you said, Javier, construction sites, the marketability of the ability for you to supply those products is going to be huge. So I do think that, as you said, suppliers are going to carry this in their supply chain and they're going to tweak it 
and they're going to just get better at it. I mean, that's what we do as a promotional products industry. I think any product that we come out with, one person might come up with it, but by the time you know it, everybody's tweaked it, improved it. And I think this will just continue to evolve. I love that Winston Churchill quote. I do agree with it. And as much as I don't like seeing our industry and my colleagues go through hardship, it's really tough to see that. At the same time, I also feel like this is an incredible opportunity to do a couple things. Number one, I've kind of jokingly said that this crisis will teach our industry how to sell again. Because over the last 10 years, it's been such a great market that any half smart distributor can make a decent living just by setting up shop and going out and saying they can get their client stuff. But right now, this is really testing us. And the distributors and the suppliers who offer genuine value and are able to go to their customers with fantastic solutions are the ones that are going to A, survive and B, emerge from this much stronger. And I think the other thing, and to echo what Shamani said, is that I think we as distributors, and maybe just give that perspective on the distributor side, get very comfortable selling a certain kind of product. You could be a distributor that sells safety programs, or you're a distributor that sells nothing but clothing, or you're a distributor that sells nothing but trade show programs. You just get into your rut. And I think what this has demonstrated to people is that this is a dynamic and very exciting new category that a lot of distributors may not have thought to sell into before. And as I say, that comes with some risk. You do get the hucksters that will come out. But I think the vast majority of us are going to take the time to align ourselves with great suppliers that are going to perfect this, are going to become really educated around this. And as a result, will allow a distributor to expand their business into other areas, other industries, other departments that they might not have otherwise before. So I think when you look at it through that lens, it's a tremendous opportunity. And I'm excited for for a return to normalcy, that's for sure. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I think everybody is, but you know, as a few people have said, you know, is this the new normal? And I'd like to think as we kind of close out here that the new normal is being innovative again. And the new normal is saying, I'm not just a one trick pony. I need to diversify. I need to educate and I need to expand my knowledge on different things. And by doing so, we can expand the industry as we grow from this. So with that, you know, I really appreciate Shamini, your time, Mark, your time. This has been really insightful, some definite tools to put in the toolbox. And thank you so much for spending some time with us. Well, thank you for having me. It was awesome. Thank you so much, Shamini and Javier. It's great to chat with you. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Promo Kitchen podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community by visiting us at promokitchen.org. You can also show your support by donating to our cause at promokitchen.org slash donate. We would sincerely appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you.